What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Utilization Report Debrief slash Sheesh Report. My name is Marcus Grant. Glad to be here with you as we put a bow on week seven. Get ready to turn the page into week eight. We got plenty to dive into on this show. A big upset on Monday Night Football. A big injury in Buffalo that could open up the door for a rookie tight end and plenty more to get into. And to help me do all of that... As always, Dwayne McFarland and Ian Harditz. I know Dwayne's still basking in the glow of the Texas Rangers moving on to the World Series. So uh, they will start the World Classic. As of this recording, we don't know who their opponent will be. It'll be either the Diamondbacks or the Phillies. That's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about some NFL football, specifically what happened in Minnesota on Monday night. The Minnesota Vikings sort of shocked the world a little bit, get a big upset over the 49ers. But, Dwayne, maybe the biggest story there, at least for our greedy fantasy purposes, it was the Jordan Addison breakout game. And if I hadn't seen Justin Jefferson standing on the sidelines in street clothes, uh, you might have been able to convince me that maybe he somehow jumped into a number three jersey last night the way Addison carved up the 49ers. Yeah, he went off. Now, I haven't got to lay eyes on all this yet because I was watching the Rangers, but I'll I'll, I'll leave that aside, Marcus. I won't derail us with that. <laughs> uh, so Ian's going to have some good uh, analysis here on, on watching the game. But just from a standpoint of utilization, we did see season highs like across the board for Addison besides route participation. But I know he left the game late with some cramping. Uh, I believe that was in the fourth quarter. But yeah, 31.3 fantasy points last night, 10 targets, seven receptions, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Sounds like it maybe even could have been a little bit more, but he had a 23% target share. That was on the way to probably being larger before you had the cramps. 39% of the team's air yards and a 3.73 yards per route run. So Addison, this just matches up with what we saw from him in college. Marcus, he was an amazing target earner, earner, whether you want to look at his time at Pitt, whether you want to fast forward to USC out there near your neck of the woods. He was always an elite target earner in college. So his targets, uh, target shares in college, 25% as a freshman, 28% as a sophomore, and 22% in his junior season. Um, and this is a guy that showed he could be press coverage. He could really do it all. And so now we're seeing that at the NFL level. It's funny how that works. When you beat really good competition in college and show you can do all those things, then you get your chance in the NFL. It often works out. I mean, Ian, Dwayne talked about it. I know we'll do the sheesh report in just a little bit, but for as big a night as it was, it could have been an even bigger night for Jordan Addison. That's the crazy thing. You don't see many, you know, seven catch, 123-yard, two touchdown performances with meat left on the bone, but that's what we actually end up getting on Monday night. So earlier in the game, he was actually open in the back of the end zone for a three-yard touchdown. Kirk Cousins' rare miss, at least on this Monday night, and couldn't quite put it on him. And then later in the game, guys, got open deep for what would have been, you know, potentially another. 20 or so yard score got one hand on it but end up drawing that dpi got him down there at the doorstep anyway so illegal contact penalty later like they could not cover him out there and to Dwayne's point it really has been something that's been on his resume for quite some time so the fact we have yet another you know undersized wide receiver guys 511 a buck 73 doing this i mean marcus i mean i'm not sure how locked in you were on that baseball game but the touchdown he had man where should have could have would have just been a straight up interception nope rips out the guy's hands and goes scores a 60 yard touchdown right before halftime so again like you know you didn't have to watch the game look at that box score and say wow that is impressive but if you did 
my goodness, it really was that impressive and even so much more. So, you know, who knows if we're going to have two more games without Justin Jefferson, four more games, I don't know. But even once Jefferson is back, man, if we're seeing Cousins finally relying on Addison as the clear number two receiver without Jefferson, obviously number or number one with it without him, number two with him, then we could be looking at a lot more performances like this in fantasy. Yeah, that, that touchdown before the half was impressive uh, because he ripped it away from Ward. Even more impressive because Ward did the same thing to him uh, right at the beginning of the game, snatched one out of his hands for an interception. So a little bit of uh, revenge for Jordan Addison in, in that one there. Uh, over to Buffalo, where we were big on Dalton Kincaid coming into the season, uh, the guy from Utah who lit it up with the youth, but really was finding himself sharing a lot of opportunities with Dawson Knox. But for the foreseeable future uh, Knox is going to be out of action he is going to have surgery on his wrist the timeline is right now undefined for when he returns so Dwayne this feels like a really big opportunity for Kincaid to step forward yeah we don't know for sure how long Knox is going to be out to your point but it sounds like it could be that one to four weeks I know that's a wide range and people are like oh wow thanks for nothing thanks for helping me a lot there one to four <laughs> weeks um so we'll see what happens with the IR stuff you guys know how this goes the teams don't tell us until Friday <laughs> or Saturday that someone's going on the IR I think every time I've heard over the last four weeks that's just a low ankle sprain Low ankle sprain, you know, going to miss a week by the time Saturday gets here. Yeah, we're putting him on the short-term IR, so he's going to be out for four games. We'll see what happens here with Knox, but the big story here really is with Dalton Kincaid, and he had that season-high 16 fantasy points last week. However, the route participation was still really where it's been all season at 63%. Now, it was a trailing game script, so we saw 29 routes last week for Kincaid, and that kind of helped boost the fantasy numbers. But with this development with Knox, I went ahead and looked into the numbers here, Marcus. And when we haven't had Knox on the field this year, and we did have Dalton Kincaid on the field, 21% target share. So it has been an impact. They are working similar areas of the field. And although Kincaid has been the preferred option by a slight margin, Knox has been just enough to kind of hold that back a little bit. So we should see an increase in playing time. We could get to that 80% route participation, which in Buffalo would be really sweet because this is a pass first offense with a really good quarterback. Also, by the way, they still don't know who their second option is in the passing game behind Stefan Diggs. They've been trying to figure this out for three years. They're going back to the drawing board again. I do think Kincaid has the talent profile to get there, just like we talked about with Addison. Marcus, if you look at the college stuff with Kincaid, now he broke out later than what we saw with Addison, which isn't always great, but tight ends tend, they can do that. Not everyone can be a Michael Mayer or, or a Laporta and break out like as a sophomore but Kincaid was really good over his last two seasons. He was a guy that didn't start playing football until his senior year of high school. So I think looking at that 21% target share without Knox is very, very encouraging in this environment. I am upgrading him to a low-end tight end one for this period where we don't have Knox. And I think he gives you mid-range tight end one upside in this offense. Yeah, I've been saying for weeks that if we could somehow get Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid to form like Voltron and just become one tight end, uh, it would be great. Uh, I guess you know, while you don't wish for injuries, the fact that Dawson Knox is going to be out of the picture for a little bit of time sort of uh, accomplishes the same thing. So we'll see if Dalton Kincaid can take advantage of the situation for the next however many weeks uh, Dawson Knox is going to be out. But speaking of the Bills, that seems like a good lead into the Sheesh Report, which you can read every week on FantasyLife.com because, uh, Ian, I don't know if you saw the tweet, Stefan Diggs tweeted out last night that I feel kind of bad when I bleep up 
y'all's uh, parlays or fantasy. So uh, he at least understands that a lot of folks were counting on him and got let down. Uh, you know, it, it was not a it was not a wasn't a terrible game, I guess, for for Stefan Diggs, but it could have been better, right? Yeah, but shout out to Diggs for, you know, not uh, answering to his shishas or anything like that, but just, you know, for relating to us a little bit, guys. It only takes so little for these NFL players sometimes to embrace fantasy, and we will love them accordingly. But by the way, Diggs, come on, man. You've been the most consistent guy on most of our fantasy teams out there. Nothing to apologize for, sir. That said, with the shishas with Diggs this week, guys, coulda, shoulda, woulda been a 75-yard touchdown to start a drive. Nice double move. Got behind the safeties. Josh Allen had a clean pocket just unfortunately sailed it so anytime you're trying to make a pass you know 60 yards downfield in a windy foxborough environment not exactly a gimme but Diggs was pretty freaking wide open would have liked to see him hit that but the reason he's really getting featured as well comes down to two other really big time drops that we're not used to seeing from him had a one that would have put him in position inside the one yard line on a drive where they had to end up kicking a field goal and also at the very end of the game guys just 12 seconds left desperation need a touchdown mode Josh Allen threw an absolute rope to Diggs that should have been good for a 45-yard gain and giving him one last chance at the end zone for about the 30. Unfortunately, he sheeshed it. He dropped it. And at the end of the day, guys, 187 unrealized air yards in week seven. No wide receiver had more. Jamison Williams and Amari Cooper were the only other guys over 100. So had the cool pop-up slide touchdown. Didn't completely leave his fantasy managers hanging. But again, so close to being one of those huge days that really wins your matchup. And so Stefan Diggs sort of left us wanting. Uh, we have a developing situation in Los Angeles, Ian, where Justin Herbert just keeps missing Keenan Allen. It's a little bit worrisome now. Yeah, this is legit. Like, if you want to be kind of a dick about it, three touchdowns over the past two weeks, at <laughs> least two guaranteed, and then another big play in that Cowboys game. But yeah, last week, you know, big time, long play, Joshua Palmer to get them down inside the 10-yard line, quick hurry up, big screen, Keenan's wide open. Nope, Justin Herbert sailed it. So he's playing through that kind of left-hand injury, and I understand he is a right-handed quarterback and everything, but really just haven't seen Herbert on his A game here over these past three weeks. So hopefully he gets it figured out, and it's weird for Keenan Allen's fantasy managers to be complaining too much because of all the numbers he continues to put up. But yes, guys, could have been even bigger there. Obviously wasn't the only, you know, missed potential touchdown because of inaccuracy. We mentioned Jordan Addison earlier. Also probably got another one for Alexander Madison, uh, actually on Monday Night Football, a little six-yard score. Couldn't quite put it on him. So Fastball from Kirk, again, not trying to, uh, you know, be too harsh because end of the day, guys, Kirk Cousins, four games with over 300 passing yards this year, that leads the entire NFL. So, yeah, you sheeshes here and there, but all in all, guys, Captain Kirk, nice little season he's got going for himself. Yeah, I know he played really, really well. He looked great last night against that 49er defense, and Kevin O'Connell was just in his bag uh, calling plays against uh, against the Niner defense. Uh, Devontae Adams, we were expecting the squeaky wheel game to happen for Devontae. I guess the thing they never talk about, though, is that if the squeaky wheel is offered the grease, he has to catch it. And uh, that didn't happen late in the game. They were force-feeding him early out there, Marcus. But, yeah, to your point, sick route, man. This reminded me of, like, last year when Ayuk just put, I think it was Asante Samuel Jr. in a blunder and then dropped the ball after having such a great route. And that's what we have with Devontae Adams out there. 
So should have been a six-yard score. Went right off the fingertips, though. Couldn't get that touchdown on again. What was a very catchable throw from Brian Hoyer. So some other drop scores that we did have. Jamison Williams keeps having to try to do that tough inside shoulder, outside shoulder catch. So don't want to be too critical. That said, potential 47-yard touchdown did objectively hit him in the hands. Also, Tyree Kill had a potential extra 21-yard score. Really in his bread basket. We kind of thought it was a fumble live because of just the way the ball kicked around. Couldn't hold on. Would have had to make a guy miss, but it's Tyreek. I think he would have made it work. Also, Gerald Everett, Foster Moreau, and Romeo Dobbs. Short scores that were dropped for touchdowns, but luckily, at least for Romeo Dobbs, he dropped the pass and was a good enough teammate to deflect it right to Jaden Reed, who came down with the <laughs> touchdown. So, at least for that play, only Romeo Dobbs managers were too worried. Uh, Jordan Love, just fine. Yeah, I saw a lot of uh, Romeo Dobbs managers asking if they could get half a touchdown <laughs> on that or some kind of assist or something uh, because of that. Uh, and then lastly, we shouldn't let the Bajan Robinson drama in Atlanta distract us from the fact that Drake London uh, kind of sheeshed a little bit. Yeah, man. And Fantasy Life had the great picture we uh, tweeted out. Make sure you're following if you're not already. Why the heck not? You know, but looking at London, man, like was going to be a routine, just catch down inside the five yard line. And then the guy decided to show us just how high and just freakishly out athletic he can be and how high he can jump got there reached out for the goal line couldn't quite get there and there was this big replay thing wondering if he again fumbled the ball out of the end zone but one of the closest, you know, down at the one-yard line moments we have seen this year, and it was made all the much more sheeshful by the fact that Desmond Ritter proceeds to fumble the snap and give up the ball on the very next play. So Ritter actually had another fumble at the one-yard line later in the game. That one went through the end zone, and it's just unfortunate because, again, these are two separate drives for the Falcons that got all the way down to the one-yard line and not a single point to be shown for it. So, again, we're complaining about the usage. You brought up Dijon and all that, but if they could just cut down these turnovers a little bit the falcons might actually have something good going on so full list of guys who were stopped short of the goal line and then did not manage to score on the week or just on that particular drive Geno Smith, Kirk Cousins on Fred Warner going Troy Polamalu. That was crazy, by the way. Uh, Alvin Kamara twice on the same drive. Kenneth Walker, Najee Harris, Latavius Murray, A.J. Brown, and again, Drake London. So again, bit of sheesh for these guys, but more times than not, or at least over the past four weeks, guys, really strong stuff out of Drake London, especially from a target perspective. Wouldn't be surprised maybe Dwayne has some more utilization goodness on him later. Yeah, we'll, uh, we're going to dive into to some utilization stuff uh, coming up a little bit later. But uh, always good to see what happened in the Sheesh Report. If you want the full rundown, you can go check it out over at FantasyLife.com. Ian, as always, watching everything just in case you didn't get a chance to. Thank you, sir. We'll talk next week. Peace, fellas. All right. Uh, there goes Ian Harditz. And uh, there goes the Sheesh Report, uh, as he mentioned. Go, uh, go follow us on Twitter. Uh, if you don't already, go follow Twitter, Twitter TikTok, uh, Instagram, all the social medias. Uh, you can come find Fantasy Life there. And by the way, go uh, sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already. Go check it out at FantasyLife.com. Also, while you are there, you can check out the utilization report that Dwayne puts together every week. So let's start diving into some things. Let's start with Lamar Jackson, who we always love. We always have high expectations for. And it looks like... As we're hitting the midway point of the season, we're getting close to it, that that offense is starting to click. So is this what we always hoped for from Todd Monken's offense this year? Yeah, you know, we heard the reports all offseason, Marcus, that this was going to be an offense that was going to air it out. They wanted to throw the ball more. And, you know, for the most part, 
I think we all went along with it because we're like, okay, you draft Zay Flowers in the first round after talking that way. You go add Odell Beckham Jr. in free agency, and it just wasn't quite working out early this year. In fact, it was really the Ravens looking more like the old Ravens offense. You know, so if you go into fantasy life, you check out the utilization suite of tools, you can you can click on this thing called team styles. And really what it's there is just to tell you about like what's the environment of the team. And we have a really cool stat there called drop back rate over expectation, DBOE. And that just really tells you how does this team compare to other teams when they're playing in similar situations. And it's mainly to do with are they leading, are they in a close game, are they trailing? And then we put all that together and we weight it and we give you, okay, what does this team look like? And so for the Ravens early this season, they've been really more of a balanced team, not run heavy, but more of a balanced team but not on the positive side of balance. So you can see like their drop back rate over expectation, minus four, minus three, minus eight, minus two. And then these last three games, though, we've kind of caught a little glimpse here, Marcus. Plus 9% in week five against the Steelers. Dropped down a little bit again against the Titans, but plus 12% this past weekend. So in a game where they're winning a blowout, that just tells you they continue to throw the ball more than other teams do in that same scenario. And then we've got Lamar Jackson coincidingly going off for his big game with 357 passing yards and three touchdowns via the air. And so there is this, you know, potential that they're turning the corner. If you think about it, I mean, it takes time to implement this sort of scheme. The quarterback, all the wide receivers and everyone have to get on the same page. So Odell Beckham Jr., still a new player to the offense, and he's been battling injuries. He missed time in training camp. Zay Flowers is just a rookie. When we look at Rashad Bateman, he's been hurt. Mark Andrews was hurt to begin the season and in the preseason. He missed week one. So I do think there's a chance that they're just now truly gelling. And if that is the case, Marcus, like just what is the ceiling for Lamar Jackson? Because I think we can have a very short list of players where we could talk about having someone that could have the potential to throw for 300 yards per game and run for 100 yards per game. And occasionally you get those two things in the same week. And oh my goodness, like you were just talking about absolute fantasy magic. So this is a guy that runs the ball as much as any other quarterback in the league. He's great when he scrambles. And there's honestly, there's room for regression there. He's below his career averages and his yards per attempt on scramble and design run plays. So there's just a lot to like about Lamar Jackson. I will not be surprised at all, Marcus, if he's the QB one the rest of the way, if this change sticks on offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he had MVP potential this year. And if what we saw this past week continues, uh, that is not out of the question for Lamar Jackson and for all the passing work he's done. Uh, does lead all quarterbacks in rushing yards through the first seven weeks of the season. So uh, things may be starting to pick up there. And also helps, by the way, uh, when his receivers catch the football, which, uh, you know, there was that game a couple of weeks ago where they, they couldn't catch a cold. Now it seems like they're starting to help out a little bit, which is always a plus. Um, Josh Allen, another guy who we know can run with the football. And uh, we saw Damian Harris go down a couple weeks ago with an injury. So does this mean that maybe Josh Allen's starting to pick up some of the slack in the rushing game? It does look that way. Um, you know, we have to kind of decipher this information. It's only one data point. So, uh, you know, things could change again. And, you know, sometimes we draw conclusions, Marcus. You know, as, as human beings, we see two things and we relate them to one another. But I think there is a chance that's what's going on here. Um, Damian Harris was part of the Buffalo attack once you get down inside the five-yard line, which historically is something that we have seen Josh Allen play. That's an area we've seen him play a really big role. And this last weekend, 
he did have 100% of the carries inside the five-yard line. And he was also the most involved in the design run game that we've seen this year. And that's despite dealing with a little bit of an injury from the week before. So 15% design rush attempts this past weekend for Josh Allen with Damian Harris out of the lineup and also scrambled 9%. That tied for his season high as well. So Josh Allen's been fine. For fantasy managers, like he's the QB one overall right now, but he's right there in the mix with really two or three names, not truly separating himself from everyone else. Now, there's a lot of competition at the top, but if he gets this aspect of his game back, because it's been a little bit underreported, and I think mainly because you're still getting fantasy points out of Josh Allen, but he is far under expectation for where we thought he would be on the season as a runner. And that could eventually catch up with him if they are just real, if we're really depending on someone performing more like a pocket passer, as good as Josh Allen can be, we're not getting the full Josh Allen experience. But with this last week, this data point, this is going to give him an opportunity to be that number one quarterback overall, a lot more weeks uh, in the future. And to, to really just kind of help keep himself in that top three. Again, Josh Allen's been fine. You're, you're still happy that you drafted him, but it is a player where there actually is still meat left on the bone because we just haven't seen that rushing potential pay off yet. Yeah, it's weird because the Bills, you watch them offensively and you just feel like it's not quite there where they want it to be. Yeah. But you go look at your fantasy scores and Josh Allen's the QB one overall. Stefan Diggs is the wide receiver, too. So at least the stars are still performing from a fantasy perspective, even if the offense on the field feels like it's a little bit out of sync right now um meanwhile in arizona kyler murray tweeted out recently that he's starting to practice again so it appears in theory at least that he is nearing a return uh could still be a couple of weeks away um, look we sort of know what kyler murray is and we've said it before like the the cardinals are feisty even if they're not winning games they're fighting and they're competitive uh so it, it would be a welcome sight i think for a lot of us to see kyler murray back in in a couple of weeks yeah, and I think the big question for fantasy managers, like, um, and it's the one that I think about too, it's like, but what's the ultimate ceiling here with Murray? I, I think we definitely get some things by getting Murray back into the offense. I think that's an upgrade for Marquise Brown. As, and, you know, we've given Joshua Dobbs some credit, you know, even on this show here. He's played well for being a journeyman quarterback, but the wheels are starting to come off a little bit over the last few weeks. We're seeing those completion percentages really dip down. It appears that the NFL defenses now have a much better feel for how Joshua Dobbs is going to play, what his strengths are, and trying to take those things away. And then that's when you've got to see the evolution of the player, right? Can they now take the next step to counter what defenses are doing? And maybe Dobbs can, but... This is a guy that's never been a starting quarterback before, most likely for a reason. So while it's been a fun story, I do think Kyler Murray helps the passing attack, which was good news for Marquise Brown mainly. Um, really, everybody else is kind of rotating in and out of the lineup. But the thing for fantasy managers is what's the upside with Murray? And I do think as a passer, as a pure pocket passer, like Murray's probably a high-end QB too, Marcus, with the weapons that he has around him. And he's going to give you a little bit of work on the ground. But I think where the real upside comes in is – what can he eventually get to as a rusher by the time you're in your fantasy playoffs? For example, if you know, you've know you made it and you didn't take an early quarterback or you're looking really good you know, to make the playoffs, but maybe you have a Deshaun Watson that you're sitting there waiting on and you don't know what's going to happen with him. Um, we've got the new, new news that maybe he you know hurt that rotator cuff further and they're going to have to rest him some more. Maybe you waited on quarterback and you took a Daniel Jones who's really been struggling. Uh, maybe you waited and you took a Geno Smith who hasn't quite lived up to expectations, has been close, but hasn't made it there. 
then like Murray enters the conversation for me. Cause if he does get to like 75, 80% of his old self, Marcus, which I think is probably about where we have to set the bar. I don't think he's going to be very engaged in the design run game. I don't think the Cardinals take any unnecessary risk with him, but he's still got the ability to scramble. And in scrambling, you can still protect yourself and you don't have to set yourself up to be making all these lateral moves, jukes. It's just basically, okay. It's like uh, Trevor Lawrence last week. You know, hey, I can still run straight fast and be okay and not put myself at risk for in, in, injury. Even if Kyler just does that, like I think he could then be in that low end QB one conversation. I just don't know though if he gives you that true, you know, if Kyler's at his full potential, you know, he gives you QB one overall upside every week when things click right. I don't know if we'll get to that, but if you're battling one of those other names or maybe you took a Dak Prescott, in those scenarios, if you've got a spot, I do think getting Kyler Murray onto your line into your roster or onto your roster like is a really good idea. He's still right now, I want to say, uh, over in Yahoo leagues, he's available still like 65, 70% of the time. So it is a move that's available to a lot of fantasy managers. Yeah, and I, I think you'll start to see it a little bit more in the next couple of weeks. This week, you know, there are no teams going to buy, but I think once we start having to make some more roster yeah. decisions too, I think you'll start to see people uh, really make that move. Speaking of making roster decisions, uh, the Rams had to make something about their running backs last week, and we all thought, hey, you know, Zach Evans seems like the next man up. He's the guy you should go get. And then they go add Daryl Henderson, and then you see Henderson's practicing, and then you hear Sean McVay praising Daryl Henderson. Uh, by the way, also adding something about Miles Gaskin. Like, yeah, I don't really know much about Miles, uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, turns out that Daryl Henderson was the guy last week. Zach Evans played the same number of snaps as you and I did, Dwayne. So uh, I guess that means that we should focus all our attention on Daryl Henderson if he's still there in your league. Yeah, when these situations develop, we're always wondering, okay, is it going to stick? Is it going to stick? And often, you know, we're trying to piece together pieces of information to honestly make the best guess that we can uh, to make an informed decision, but it doesn't always work out. I do think there's a lot of things really stacking up for Henderson here, though, Marcus. And it is always fascinating to me, the guy sitting on a couch one week that suddenly leading an NFL backfield the next <laughs> week. This this was not just some light workload. There were 20 opportunities between rushing attempts and targets for Daryl Henderson this past weekend. That's a very nice workload in a pretty good offense in L.A. I know they still haven't had that explosion game, Marcus, but I think we all agree. Indicators, looking at the talent, looking at, you know, just the way the offense, they're just, they're right there. Uh, it's kind of like what, you know, you talked about with Buffalo. Buffalo's still getting a little more production, but it's one of these teams where you're like, you know, they've got Cooper Cup. They've got Puka Nakua. They're, for the most part, all scoring their fantasy points but the Rams offense still hasn't exploded. And so I do think that that upside is there. And those indicators with Henderson, I think a lot of it, you know, it's like on the softer side. It's not necessarily just in this data. Yeah, he led the backfield last week, like you mentioned, 58% snap, snap share, 60% of the rushing attempts. He also had a 41% route participation, which was the best out of the backfield. And then he also had the best targets per route run. Royce Freeman wasn't really engaged. 15% targets per route run for Henderson. But it's those soft things like McVeigh knows him. McVeigh has used him in the past. McVeigh, in fact, has depended multiple stretches over his career on Daryl Henderson as a bell cow back. He has given him that kind of workload. And so to see him come out and do it right away in week one over a guy, Royce Freeman, who had been on their practice squad and knew everything about the offense, 
was in shape, theoretically, up to speed, and no, Daryl Henderson already is over him, I think that's a pretty telling sign. I think we're going to see even more Daryl Henderson, and I'm not worried about Miles Gaskin. You know, I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't think we're going to see this three-way kind of committee emerge. Anything is possible. McVeigh has not done that. He didn't do it with Kyron Williams to begin this year. We're like, oh, he'll never just give the full workload to Kyron Williams. Oh, yes, he will. McVeigh will ride one back, and we've seen it multiple times. So I think if you grab Daryl Henderson off the wire, you're looking really good. If you didn't, he needs to be an absolute priority because we know we've got at least another three games without Kyron Williams, who's dealing with that high ankle sprain. And Henderson could carve out a role, Marcus, that puts him in a situation where he's sharing the backfield with Kyron Williams. I know we don't want to hear that, Kyron Williams managers. We love Kyron. We want want full (laughs) Kyron when he's back. But I do think Henderson could be good enough because, you know, McVay's seen him in the past to force his way into a role that maybe even helps us when the fantasy playoffs gets here. And then he'll always have that contingency value if Kyron were to struggle to get back or he suffers another injury. So I think there's a lot of positives here with Henderson. Anytime you're thinking about fab and how much you want to put on a player, you've got to think, okay, what are they giving me now? And then what are they giving me in the future? And anytime you have players that kind of start checking boxes on both sides of that equation, he's a little light on what he's going to give you in the future, but I do think there's a potential there. You've got to really think about cranking it up. They have to be a priority for you. So I put in a recommendation 30 to 35% of your fab. I mean, we're halfway through our fantasy season. I think you can make an argument if you're in a really competitive league and he's out there for some reason, you need to push that number even higher. I mean, to your point, Daryl Henderson was the fly in the ointment with Cam Akers for a few years there in Los <laughs> Angeles. So um, there is a reason to believe that Sean McVay will give him some opportunities. Uh, opportunity potentially coming for Kareem Hunt in the Browns backfield. Jerome Ford uh, has an ankle injury and he's going to be out for a little bit of time. But uh, there's a potential for Pierre Strong to get some chances there, too. How are you uh, sort of forecasting this backfield? Yeah, it was really interesting because, again, we have a lot of factors coming into this game. Number one, Kareem Hunt was hurt. He was really considered questionable for the game. Um, It wasn't a true game time decision, but that morning kind of thing. We got the word, okay, Kareem Hunt is going to play today. So I don't think he was 100%, which clouds things a little bit for me. Because if we just look at that straight up utilization and we look at what happened after Jerome Ford left the game, Marcus, It was really Pierre Strong. I mean, he was the guy out there for most of the work. Um, We did see a little bit of Kareem Hunt, but he was in the same role that we saw from the beginning of the game, which, by the way, was the same role that we saw the previous week for Kareem Hunt. So Pierre Strong is a guy that the Browns obviously like a little bit. They made a trade to get him onto their roster. So I don't think we're going to see either one of these guys fully take over the backfield. However, I still lean to Hunt. I mean, because... He's a guy that's already put up two top 15 running back finishes in the last two games without a full role. He's given us 16 and 15 fantasy points. He also got the carries inside the five this last weekend. He was the primary ball carrier on short down and distance. Now, he didn't get his typical passing down role. Um, They gave that to Pierre Strong. It's like musical chairs right now with what these roles are (laughs) for these running backs. Uh, Kareem Hunt maybe doesn't quite have that, you know, prowess he once had in the passing game. At least that's what the coaching staff is telling us. So, I do think Hunt is the guy that I lean to here, but I think it's going to be more of a committee than what people think. I think a lot of times with just the name recognition alone, Marcus draws us in and we're like, oh, it's Kareem Hunt. Like he's going to get 65% of the work. That That's in the range of outcomes. But my guess is it's probably more of a 
Kareem Hunt is the guy I would rather roster, but he's also taken in a lot of leagues. Um, he's rostered in 64% of the leagues. So some of you listening to this, you have a chance to make your decision between these two guys. I would prefer Kareem Hunt, but Pierre Strong's available everywhere. 99% of the time, he is available. So my fab recommendation for folks looking at Hunt is 20 to 25%. We could be looking at a high ankle sprain with Jerome Ford. Um, they said it's that more low ankle sprain. Like we talked about earlier, Marcus, all that means is he's going to be put on IR by Sunday <laughs> with the way these things have been going. <laughs> Coaches have no reason to divulge any more information than what they need to. They've got their idea. Now nah, we're going to make them game plan for Jerome Ford and everybody. Like, really? For opponents two and three weeks from now? Like, come on, just throw the fantasy manager's bone. Now, I know you guys never want to do that. Uh, Arthur Smith is your cult leader, so it's okay. We give you respect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for strong, I still think like three to 5% will probably get it done. If you're in a really deep league, maybe 10 to 15% you throw on him as a fab. Uh, I think he gets, you know, maybe a little under half the work right around half the work, but there is a scenario Marcus where we're on this show next week. We're like, wow, they just gave, you know, forge roll completely over to Pierre <laughs> strong. You know, we have to also embrace the fact that we know nothing. Again, we are piecing together the information the best we can. And I know that sounds weird. This is my livelihood. I try, I'm trying to be right at these things. And we <laughs> want to be as right as possible. And I think we have a really good process on our show and the way we go about looking at the data and we depend on things that historically matter. And even with all of that, like things can just go differently than we plan. And that is there for, for Pierre Strong Jr. So I would say he is definitely still worth an ad. I wouldn't completely ignore him. What I always tell people, predicting the future is hard. I mean, even with all the tools and data and everything, uh, predicting the future is not an easy gig. And that's you know sort of what we're trying to do here a little bit. Um, one thing it seems that we can predict is that running backs against the Raiders are going to have a pretty big day. That was the case <laughs> with Deontay Foreman. Uh, you know, nothing really changed uh, with his opportunity. There was still no Rashawn Johnson last week. We know Khalil Herbert's still out for a little bit. But the guys wearing silver and black across from him seem to be really accommodating whenever uh, Deontay Foreman had the football in his hands. Yeah, it's interesting what a difference a matchup can make. He had 33 fantasy points this past weekend, 120 yards, Marcus, three touchdowns against the Raiders. Um, yeah, start people against the Raiders. The, you mentioned it. The role didn't change. He had 16 rushing attempts and four targets the week before. He had 15 rushing attempts and one target. So, yeah, he did have a few more targets in this game. He, he did score on a receiving touchdown from T-Bag. We've got to work it in here somewhere, Marcus. If you're not <laughs> going to do it, I will because uh, we got to support Ian. But looking at Foreman, it's just one of these scenarios where, the you know, it was all matchup induced. So don't get like over overly carried away. Like if you look at the historical comps for a running back in his range, he's going to be a mid-range running back three. Now, that's if Roshan Johnson misses time. If Roshan Johnson misses another week with concussion, apparently he had one more step to clear from protocol. We don't know what that you know, necessarily means as far as will he be back this week. He just has one step to clear. Whether or not he can clear it, we don't know. Um, hopefully he can. But once Roshan's back, like this is a guy that really falls back into that high-end running back four territory, um, especially while Justin Fields is out slightly lower, or not slightly. We have a lower ceiling for this offense overall. So Foreman is a guy, and look, I don't like turning everything into a buy low, sell high, but like if someone is really hurting for running back and they think that this Deonta Foreman thing is here to stay, yeah, I would be very willing to move him. I do think one thing here, though, is Foreman played well enough, Marcus, that for the for those folks that had their fingers crossed that, oh, man, once we get Roshan back, he's completely taking over this backfield. Again, anything can happen. 
trends don't always hold, but I don't think that's likely to occur. This is a team that's given, gave Darrington Evans, Marcus, 14 <laughs> carries last week. Darrington Evans is a, na- is a name I haven't talked about in fantasy football for like two or three years. And this guy came out and got 14 carries. So I think that the Bears have shown us they want a dual-headed backfield, preferably a three-headed backfield with Justin Fields being one part of it as well. So I think it does hurt Roshan that Foreman played so well this past weekend. Yeah, I, I don't know that Foreman's going to completely go away with how he's played the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, at last check, as you mentioned, still one step to clear for Johnson to get back on the field. The Bears optimistic uh, that he'll be back for week eight. So we'll see about that. Uh, we did finally get the big Jameer Ga- Gibbs game that we have been wanting for a long time. It happened, uh, you know, despite the Lions getting thumped by the Baltimore Ravens. Um one, are you worried that that maybe this was just because such a negative game script was in play pretty much from uh, the end of the second quarter all the way through? Or, you know, is there something we can hang our hat on with this even when David Montgomery comes back? No, I look, overall, I, I saw that a lot. Oh, it was just the game script. But remember, guys, that's why we've always loved Jameer Gibbs because no matter the game script, you get into these sort of scenarios he is an Austin Eckler. He is a CMC type back. This is a guy that comped to those two from a receiving prowess standpoint in college. His targets per route run, his target share, all the metrics that we like to look at were very comparable to those players plus Alvin Kamara. Those were his top comps. So you get into a game trip where you need to use the two-minute offense more. Surprise, he shines. But that's really nice because we want backs that are insulated no matter the game script. So I think the big takeaway here for Jameer Gibbs is if you're a dynasty manager, like this is the game you look at and you see, okay, we've now got two data points where David Montgomery has not been available and they did not feel the need to force another running back in there. Now, Craig Reynolds was questionable last week with a hamstring injury and he was on the injury report to end the week. So that could have been a factor, but he wasn't in week three when we had David Montgomery out of the picture. So I think the Lions have shown us that in the future, we're likely to see a Jameer Gibbs in a role at some point where he could be getting 15 to 16 carries a game, Marcus, and giving us anywhere between five and eight targets per game. That is going to be an elite running back one in fantasy football, given his skill set and his explosiveness. I had a lot of people hitting me up on Twitter. I just kind of posted about these two games because my point was just being like, let's look at a future scenario where you don't have David Montgomery We all know when David Montgomery comes back for this season, he's going to take over the lead role again. I don't think there's any doubt. The question is how much Gibbs can carve out. But the big takeaway here is really for that dynasty lens. Or if you're in a keeper league and someone is down on Jameer Gibbs and maybe they took him in the fourth or fifth round of your fantasy draft and you're thinking, oh, I'm in a league where I can keep him for my fifth round pick, you know, next year. Now, David Montgomery's on a two-year contract, so it could be a two-year thing with him. But I would be willing to take that kind of risk. I think we're now seeing that they are willing to at least trust Gibbs in that kind of role. I think they will always have someone, Marcus, to supplement him. But all the people that were in the comments, I think we're kind of missing my point of what a future role could look like for Gibbs. And it was like, oh, no, just sell high, sell high. And maybe you do. If you're just in a season long for this year and you want to sell high, you can. (laughs) But I think maybe Gibbs carves out a little bit more work with this role. Like we've always really wanted Marcus to see Gibbs earn that passing down role and to some extent he has and he's been an elite target earner 25 percent targets per route run on the season 
Who does that compare to? Oh, surprise! It compares to CMC. It compares to Austin <laughs> Eckler. All the top guys. Jameer Gibbs is one of them. Do not be fooled. Don't lose the plot. Don't lose the big storyline, the theme here. Jameer Gibbs is one of those players. Nothing has changed about that. People want to pretend they know everything and, oh, he'll never get the carries inside the five. They said that about Jamal Charles. They said that about Austin Eckler. They said that about CMC. They've said that about all these players. He will eventually get there. The big hope for this year, Marcus, is can he just take over all the passing down stuff? Because then when we get in these game scripts like this with the Lions, he can still give you that occasional 15 to 20 fantasy points per week. So I think he's a high-end running back three with Montgomery around. Other takeaway here is anytime Monty's out, this guy is a running back one, period. I don't care if we've got all the teams available or if we've got 10 teams on by. doesn't matter to me. Jameer Gibbs has to be in the running back one conversation. All right, so uh, some silver linings there with Jameer Gibbs. We'll see what happens when David Montgomery returns. Speaking of targets, we have been we've been asking for Ramondre Stevenson to get targets for weeks, uh, and it appears that at least for the last couple of weeks, Bill O'Brien has been tuning into our show because uh, they're throwing <laughs> it to Ramondre Stevenson. So I guess we have to be excited about that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even think you need to listen to our show. You just have to look at your wide receiver room and say, oh, God. <laughs> what, are, what are we going to do? Um, you know, the Patriots are one of these teams, Marcus, that, you know, they're making a shakeup on offense. They're changing the way they're doing things. We're seeing Kendrick Bourne getting more playing time. We'll talk about him in a minute. Demario Douglas, we're not going to talk about. So I'll just mention him here. He saw a season high in route participation, got some targets. This is a guy that was there, you know, six round pick. But the Patriots, it might have been seventh round pick, but the Patriots like him and he's getting on the field now. So they've realized that, hey, the way we're doing this, not working. So we need to really change things around. And Ramondre has been the other part of that for the last two games, a 20 percent and a 21 percent target share. And that was always the thing that we have hung our hat on with Ramondre. It was the fact that, look, the Patriots may stink, but they're going to trail. They're going to need to throw to Ramondre. They don't have any other weapons in the passing game. They're going to need to throw to Ramondre. And I think that is all coming full circle for us now. So for those of you that were patient with Ramondre, congratulations. I am upgrading him to a mid-range running back two status. Quite the journey in the utilization report for Ramondre over the last three weeks. He was downgraded to a high-end running back three after starting the season as a low-end running back one. Then last week we moved him. Okay, not fully in the circle of trust, Ramondre, but we did see you get the targets, and we know you have that skill set. So low end running back two, and now this week he moves back to mid-range running back two status. If you look at his comps, and here's another one real quick thing here, Marcus, more running attempts are going to Zeke, but it's in a trade-off that they know they're planning to get Ramondre, it looks like, involved in the passing game. And so these touches, we're willing to trade those, especially in a PPR. We're like, okay, so a, a carry turns into a catch, which is an automatic point. I don't get a point for a carry. So I will take those receptions. And with Ramondre, um, what we're seeing is just that they're planning to do this stuff with him. So I think that's, that's really what we want to see. And if we look at his comps based on his role over the last few games, and this goes back to 2011, those running backs with a similar utilization profile. And mind you, this is me giving him around the 10 carries per game range. He's averaging fit the, those comps have averaged 15.8 points per game. And they finished as the running back 11. Again, that's based on data back to 2011. I take several factors from utilization. And then I also look at the player's talent and efficiency profile. And I factor those things together to come up with this list of comps. So that's a low end running back one. I haven't moved him up 
that far. Um, again, because we have two data points here. We'll see, you know, if we're back, we're back here next week crying, you know, that, oh my God, Ramondre Stevens is not involved <laughs> in the passing attack. Um, so I do feel better about him. And he is a guy that like I would be targeting in trades at this point. I think there are enough positive things going on with Mondre. I don't think we've seen the ceiling games that we could get. I think you're also going to get some 20, 25 point performances out of Mondre. And once that happens, your league mates aren't going to be willing to move him. But right now, in a week where there's no buys, they're not hurting as much, this is the kind of week where you pounce on a player like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully this this is the start of something good for Ramondre Stevenson. It's actually turning into what we always thought it could be. Uh, it just took the Patriots a while to, to kind of get to this point. Um, meanwhile, Brian Robinson has been a, dis well, it's a disappointment, but the, the, the Washington commander's offense really not going much of anywhere. Uh, Antonio Gibson has certainly been a disappointment, but now Dwayne, the last couple of weeks, uh, Chris Rodriguez is working in there and not enough that you want to add him or start him certainly, but enough that he could kind of wreck what everything else uh, is going on back there in that backfield. Yeah, you nailed it, man. 39%, uh, you know, for Chris Robinson of the rushing. I mean, for Chris Robinson, Chris Rodriguez, they're both <laughs> juniors, okay? Um, Brian Robinson gave away more of the carries to Chris Rodriguez Jr., who had 39% of the carries. And that's really the only thing here. Now, I will say, if you're in, you know, some of these deep gross leagues or high stakes bros, I think Chris, Robert, I think Chris Rodriguez is worth an ad. I think he's worth looking at now because Robinson, you know, is not a high end draft pick, Marcus. It's not like he's some guy that the commanders could never move on from. If they don't like the way he's performing, they could easily try Rodriguez out, especially as the season moves on. If they're not competitive, there's a lot of different angles or Robinson goes down. I think we've seen enough now to know Antonio Gibson is probably not the handcuff. It probably really is Chris Rodriguez and they're going to keep Antonio Gibson in that same crappy role that give that scores zero fantasy points <laughs> so those are the big takeaways robinson he's borderline on he's right there if this happens another week he will get downgraded to high-end running back three status right now he's clinging he's clinging to that low-end running back two status but he's volume dependent he is not an explosive playmaker he's not on a high-end offense he needs every touch he can get to score you fantasy points and this is very troubling to see a guy like rodriguez getting almost 40 percent of the carries you know, you talk about Antonio Gibson. A couple of weeks ago, I, I saw him score a touchdown. I was like, he's a guy that I want to be interested in. And I looked at even with that touchdown, uh, I think he was at like nine fantasy points for the day. I'm like, it's just, it's <laughs> I not. I thought happening. you were going to say that you figured happening. out you were asleep. <laughs> uh, that part, dream. too. Yeah, it just, it's not happening for Antonio Gibson. Um, over to wide receiver and start with Josh Downs because it feels like every fantasy analyst that I know is telling people, urging people to go get Josh Downs because he's making plays and he's getting looks uh, in the offense. Uh, still available, though, in about 63% of Yahoo leagues. I don't know what else to do. I mean, like, at some point, we just got to get people to believe that this is for real with Josh Downs. Yeah, some of you guys need to change your roles. You have managers sneaking in and adding Josh Downs yesterday. He was the most added player yesterday. <laughs> you guys need to wake up and fix your fantasy rules. 74% uh, available as of yesterday morning when I wrote the utilization column. It's already down 10%. And I do have to give us uh, a little bit of a, a back pat on this one, Marcus. We've been talking about Josh Downs for a month. We've been talking about he is a guy that needs to be on your roster, period. I have no clue what's taking so long. Because even when sometimes people miss on the utilization and stuff like that, which is becoming much more widespread, you guys can get on the utilization stuff as well. It's all for free over at fantasylife.com. You can check out the tools. You don't 
have to wait for me and Marcus to come give you a video. We love having you with us, but you can check out the tools too. It's becoming much more, you know, in vogue, like this information's out there. And so more analysts have this, even though that the numbers have been there for whatever reason, fantasy managers have not been picking up, picking him up. And what's even more confusing to me, Marcus, is he's been scoring fantasy points and no one's picking him up. Yeah. You know, week three, he had 14 points. Week four, yeah, he had a dud with five, but since then, 16, 13, 24. Like, those are usable weeks in a lot of leagues. So to see him still so available, that's really kind of weird to me because anytime we're getting production plus the underlying utilization matches up, like, those guys are typically gone. They're not available in leagues. Usually, it's one or the other, right? It's, well, he's had the production, but his usage sucks. You can't depend on him, but go ahead, take a flyer. <laughs> or it's, wow, this guy's on the field all the time, and he doesn't score any fantasy points. So that's why he's available on your waiver wire. Rarely do we get these guys that have both. So if he is there, and you are in a league that, that uses fab, and if you're not, please change your settings, man. Quit letting this week's outcomes determine who's first on your waiver wire. Like, get out of the Stone Ages. Fab is just something where everybody has a, you know, an imaginary budget. It's a thousand dollars, a hundred dollars. This is not real money out of your pocket. And then everybody has to strategically go in and bid what percentage they want to put on a player. You could be the best team in the league and you have the same chance to get someone as the bad team. But that bad team doesn't get to be at the top of your waiver wire order for three weeks in a row and pick off Adam Thielen, come in and grab Puka Nakua and all these other guys. And now they're the best team in your fantasy league. You got to put a stop to this, people. But if you're in a fab league, 40 to 50% of your fab is what you need to put down on Josh Downs. If you're in a really big league, he's probably not there anyway, but I'd be willing to go all the way up to 80-90% if you're in one of these super competitive leagues. Again, probably not there in that scenario. If you are still living in the Stone Ages, we still love you. He should be the top waiver wire claim of the week. Now, if you need a running back, you can go with Daryl Henderson, but typically the way I look at this, Marcus, I'm betting on short-term and long-term. The long-term view here for Josh Downs is better than Henderson. This is a guy that's the clear number two in the Colts offense. We know what his role is at this point. He's earning the targets. He's now getting more targets down the field. He's making the big plays. He's going to continue doing these things all season. We don't know. Henderson, there's a chance when Kyron Williams gets back, he's nothing. We're talking he could be 10% of the snaps every week. So I do think Downs deserves to, in most cases, be the very top guy this week. If you literally, if you're a zero running back drafter, I get it. You're going to have to go from Daryl Henderson because that's the life you chose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of guys who are getting targets and production, Jacoby Myers, uh, you know, look, Devontae Adams is there and he's still going to get plenty of work in Las Vegas. But uh, Jacoby Myers has stepped in. He's had a really good season so far, Dwayne. Yeah, man, like this. How did the Patriots let this player get away? Let's just start there. What what is going on, Marcus? How does Jaco- this is a team? They they what do for, they need for the guys that they left too? For the guys that they they left there in New England, what, what I don't know idea. What do they need on their team more than anything right now? And oh, a receiver. They had one, <laughs> and they didn't even know how to use him this way when they had him. It's mind bending. It is mind bending how bad the Patriots are at evaluating wide receivers. I will give them credit. They do know how to find slot receivers, which Jacoby Myers was with their team. We can go back to when they traded for Wes Welker. That was pure genius. Julian Edelman, a quarterback that they turned into a slot receiver. So I will give them credit on the slot receiver being able to find them. But it just it, it's crazy to me that this team, you know, they need a receiver. And Jacoby was there. He was in the house. And now they went and got Juju. 
Um, but yeah, to your point, let's just give Myers some uh, props here. He gets a big upgrade this week. I move him to mid-range wide receiver two status. He's and, and I know people they hear these things from me. They're like, "Man, you're an idiot." He's already wide receiver twelve, guys. I do this based on historical <laughs> comps and profiles. It doesn't mean they can't still upgrade, and you have to move your way through the process. Rarely do I move guys up multiple steps unless there's like a big injury or something like that. So when we look at Myers. He is that wide receiver 12. The beauty of for it, of you guys calling me an idiot, is you are correct. Because the underlying utilization is there for this man. A 28% target share. He ranks number 13 in the NFL in overall targets. He's missed a game. He's missed a game. He would be top six, most likely, if he hadn't missed a game. Um, so, look, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be here. And what's, what's amazing to me about it, Marcus, is he's doing this with Devontae Adams across from him. And Adams is getting his targets. This is really the closest thing we have in the league right now to Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. And we're getting more and more of these condensed offenses. We're seeing that this year. It's a tr kind of a trend in the NFL. And I think it's here to stay because they don't use a lot of three wide receiver personnel. So typically the other people that Myers is competing with outside of Adams, two of them, are running backs. You have a fullback and Alec Ingold, who's not going to get a ton of targets, and Josh Jacobs. He's a check down guy. He's going to get some looks, but he's not a designed target every pass play. So I think these things are here to stay for Jacoby Myers and his comps. If you go back to 2011, have averaged 15.1 fantasy points per game with an average finish of wide receiver 18. That's just the average. There have been guys that have beat that. They've finished like wide receiver 10, wide receiver 9, so that's in range for Jacoby. There's also been some that haven't quite been there. They've been closer to a low-end wide receiver 2, so that's where that mid-range wide receiver 2 comp comes from for me. That's why I move him to mid-range wide receiver 2. That's where these grades come from. I try to stay really in line with the historical comps. I will move them slightly above or below based on quality of offense and other factors that you know, I will take into account. But bottom line is if you have Jacoby Myers, you really love it. And Marcus, why didn't someone just tell me, screw zero, uh, screw zero RB. Just draft whatever you want, <laughs> but take Mike Evans, Jacoby Myers, Adam Thielen, and Puka Nakua and give double birds to everyone in your league. Just like, you know, yeah, let's look at all the receivers. Let's draft, that have the been guys that, <laughs> let's draft all the receivers that none of us expected to pop this year. You know, what like, is that? Round is, six? This is what. Evans round six, Jacoby was around 11, 12, Thielen round 11 or 12 by the time we got to the season, but before, before that late, and then Puka Nakua undrafted in most leagues. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is why I wait until December to do drafts, because you know, that way I can have a good idea of, uh, of what's going to happen. Um, so if we're upgrading Jacoby Myers, I feel like I get a lot of tweets, I'm sure you do too, about what do I do with Calvin Ridley? Because really, besides week one, I think he had one other week that was, that was pretty good. Um, it's been a struggle for him. Yeah, so here's the thing with Ridley. Uh, I've, I've really dug into watching him because I, I look at data first and then I use my time after that to go watch players because I'll be honest with you guys, I don't have time in the week to watch every single player. Like that used to, I used to try to make that part of my process back in the day. And I actually find this to be more efficient and I, I find that it leads me to better overall analysis. Uh, but Ridley, I had to go watch Marcus because, you know, I was very big on him. <laughs> I, I do believe, I still believe he's the most talented wide receiver on the Jaguars. I may have to, I may have to come off of that soon, but had the best target earning profile of all these guys coming into the season in the preseason. 
and and we always guard ourselves with preseason data so we don't use it to overreact but it was just enough of a nudge to keep me where i was at slightly move me up a little bit more on ridley but trevor lawrence was going to him all the time in the preseason unfortunately that hasn't carried over to the regular season you mentioned week one which at this point looking back at it just kind of feels like you're at the uh the amusement park and you know you're on the roller coaster click 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 and you're just like oh man we're going to the very top hill the top hill the first hill is the, <laughs> the biggest one and that turns out that was the season for calvin ridley the first hill we got there all the anticipation of the preseason and we got what we wanted and now I'm looking back at that hill and I'm like, wow, there's been a lot of really big dips since then. We've had wide receiver 68, <laughs> wide receiver 55, wide receiver 48, and wide receiver 66 performances. Four out of seven games have been complete disasters, absolute disasters. Now, the utilization does look better than that. 21% target share on the season. That's third on the team, but, but the other guys are not that far ahead. Christian Kirk's at 23%, Evan Ingram's at 22%. But I think the big takeaway here is that Trevor Lawrence is not the kind of, kind of quarterback, Marcus, that's just going to force it to Calvin Ridley. And he doesn't have to, to be fair to him. He's like, dude, I got Christian Kirk in the slot, Dwayne. He's playing against the worst cornerback on the other team. He's the one operating against more zone coverage. Oh, I don't like him. I've got Evan Ingram against a freaking linebacker. I don't have to force it to Calvin Ridley, even when he's beating the coverage. That's the thing I saw when I went back and watched the film. Even when he's getting more coverage than these two guys, he's still beating it, Marcus. But that doesn't mean that Trevor Lawrence has to throw it to him. That's not where his progression is taking him. And Trevor Lawrence, this isn't a big knock on him. He's not the first quarterback to do this. Tom Brady did the same thing with Mike Evans. He did not force the ball to Mike Evans. Now we get Baker Mayfield. Imagine that. It's an improvement for Mike Evans. Why? Because Baker doesn't care what the coverage says. He's like, it's Mike <laughs> Evans. I'm just throwing it to him. I only get to live once. Brady's like, no, I'm living three lives. I'm only going to throw it to the guy that the read tells me to. And so that's where we're at now with this Jaguars offense. And the other guys, to be fair to them, they are good enough to beat this coverage they're seeing. So I think that's the big miss on my part is, you know, looking at the mesh with the quarterback, which is honestly, it can be very hard to determine that kind of stuff. It's not like we can archetype these quarterbacks in a way where we really can have a deep pool of data to create all these comps on stuff like this. So we have to do the best that we can. But the other factor here is the Jaguars just aren't going pass heavy. We really hope that they would just get all in on the passing attack this year. And they've really, their, their drop back rate over expectation is slightly high. It's like a little bit above the league average, but not what we saw at the end of last year when they just kind of went ham and let, let they just cut Trevor loose. They, they've been a team that's very willing to run the ball and Travis Etienne's been, a, been doing a good job there. So yeah, downgrade, Marcus. Downgrade to mid-range wide receiver three status. His comps, based on the data since 2011, averaged 12.6 fantasy points per game with an average finish of a wide receiver 29. So, sorry, guys. Uh, I, I still think Ridley, hyper-talented player, but unless they start throwing the ball more or Trevor Lawrence decides to live YOLO or there's an injury to one of these other guys, which we never want to ask for. Right. And again, this is with Zay Jones out. That's the other factor here. Zay Jones is still going to eventually come back to the scheme, this team and be something. We just have to downgrade Ridley. I, I, I hate to, he's already been downgrading, but it, it saddens me to, to put him in the wide receiver three bucket. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of what it is right now. After we had high expectations for him and uh, you probably spent a relatively high draft pick to, to get him on your roster. Um, last couple here. Uh, 
let's, let's go JSN. Jackson Smith and Jigba finally had a breakout. How, how much of that is him finally just kind of, you know, integrating into the offense? And how much of it was just that DK Metcalf wasn't there? Yeah, as usual, I think it's both, Marcus. Um, and I'll go rapid fire on these. I know we've got a few more to hit. So with JSN, the big takeaway is this. Even though DK Metcalf was out, what we've seen since the bye week is the Seahawks, no matter who their three wide receivers are, have implemented implemented a three-way rotation with all the guys being between 80 and 85% route participation. If we get that from JSN for the rest of the year, you're going to get more usable weeks. I've upgraded him, upgraded him to a mid-range wide receiver four, but he also has upside because, remember, this is a player that even playing with Chris Olave, a good first-round NFL pick that's performed at this level, playing with Garrett Wilson, an absolute target alpha in New York. This was a guy that played better than both of them in college. So he's used to having to compete for these targets. The last factor is what you mentioned. The more integrated in the offense, I think some of this comes back to the wrist injury. And he's just now healthy. And so he's getting more targets down the field. His average depth of target up to 7.4 and 10.3 was mostly just getting used around the line of scrimmage. So that's really big because now even if you only get five, six, seven targets in a game, he catches four or five of those. If he's catching them, you know, eight, nine, ten yards down the field instead of two yards down the field, well, you can do the math. You're going to have a shot at getting 60, you know, yards in a game, and maybe you get a touchdown out of that, and then you're going to have weeks where he's going to give you more. So JSN is in that wide receiver four with upside conversation now, and you'll love to see it. Uh, Josh Palmer in Los Angeles. I know people were concerned about Josh Palmer, not so much about him, but they were worried that Quentin Johnston uh, was going to eat into his opportunities. And really, that doesn't huh. seem like that's even close to being a, wow. a concern right now. Yeah, Quentin, I'm going to have to go back and watch more film on, too, because it's very, very disappointing. I did watch him uh, when when they had the game up on Red Zone. I was pretty much trying to watch Quentin when he was in the game, of course, which wasn't always uh, all the time, but he was nearly, he was close to a 70% route participation, but I saw a couple of plays where he immediately got open, but I also noticed that Herbert was not even looking that way at all. Almost like, yeah, bro. Like I, I'm not even looking over there. I don't trust you right now. Uh, and he does trust Josh Palmer and he does trust Keenan Allen. So I think those are really nice things. I've been pretty harsh on Josh Palmer. Um, a guy that's never really been a high end target earner, not in college, not at any point in his career, even when you look at it on a per route basis. Typically, those things by this point uh, in a player's career are not good. Now, he hasn't turned into an elite target earner, but he has he, he has played better the last three games. And here's the big thing. It's a pass first offense with Justin Herbert, like his Palmer's targets per route run is still only at 17 percent on the season. I think that'll get closer to like 19, maybe 20 percent um, based on the way he's played over the last few games. But it's that pass-heavy nature of the offense carrying him along. Um, but we have to give him credit, Marcus. He does upgrade. I give him get him to a low-end wide receiver three status. His comps, very similar to what we just talked about with Calvin Ridley. That's the sad part. That's where we're at. Wide receiver 29 was the average finish <laughs> for his comps in the, in the data pool going back to 2011. So, yeah, pretty much Palmer is a starting wide receiver on a lot of fantasy teams moving forward. And I was wrong. Uh, I did not bid enough fab on him, sadly, Marcus. Uh, let's see, Kendrick Bourne. We've you know we've been giving the Patriots wide receivers a hard time, uh, not just on this episode, but uh, on several episodes throughout the season. But uh, credit where it's due. Kendrick Bourne's playing some good football right now. Uh, how much of it is because there's no juju? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can't answer that for you, but I can tell you that the splits have been, they're polarizing with and without Juju. Mm -hmm. When Juju's in the lineup, Kendrick Bourne, Madwell, 
may as well not have been born. Just kidding, Kendrick. We still love you. Like, but you're not getting a role on the Patriots offense so far when Juju's out there. When Juju's gone, or Juju plays 50% or less of the passing plays, Marcus. Wide receiver five, wide receiver 47, wide receiver nine, wide receiver nine. So, I mean, he's been a top 10 wide receiver um, for the most part, minus that one little blip, you know. Uh, I don't know what to say about this. Kendrick Bourne, another player, has never been a target earner. And look, guys, this stuff, I'm telling you, it really does hold true for 80, 90% of the cases. We're getting these outliers. This is the biggest outlier season with so many crazy things going on that I've ever seen in my life. It almost just makes me want to quit. It just makes me want to be like, (laughs) what am I doing? And I know these things will level out over time, but there are so many guys breaking rules and just like turning into these fantasy performers that for the most part, if you had given people advice in historical year in, in previous years saying, ah, you know, don't get too excited. You're right. Most of the time. And I know that's still true, but anytime you have all these hit at once, Marcus, even with someone like me, that's been studying this for so long. Like it does create points where you're just like, Oh my God, like what, What's happening? I really don't know. But Bourne does upgrade to high-end wide receiver four status. If Juju's out of the game, you can treat him like a wide receiver three. Also, Patriots, when Juju comes back, let's just keep Kendrick, Bo- Kendrick Bourne and the role he's in. And let's let Juju work around that. I think that's probably the best idea, and I do think there's a chance that happens. So if we get another data point, that's what we're waiting on. Can we get a data point where Juju is active and in the game, where Kendrick Bourne gets to stay in the role that we saw over these over these four games that I just talked about. And if we do, then I will move him out of that high-end wide receiver four range and he can have a permanent home, permanent home for Kendrick Bourne and that wide receiver three conversation. Yeah, I mean, the offense is looking better. Kendrick Bourne is playing well. You feel like you can put one and one together. Uh, and maybe not come up with 11. So maybe we'll see uh, if he gets to <laughs> if he gets to continue getting these opportunities. Uh, last one, the one tight end we're going to talk about, Darren Waller, uh, who's really started to come alive. And I have used this as a personal campaign to just keep Tyrod in the starting lineup because not only is, is Darren Waller seeing targets, but Tyrod's getting the ball out to Wandale Robinson, to Jalen Hyatt, to all the guys in New York that we actually want to take a chance on. So I, I think, you know, this is great for Darren Waller. I also think it's a campaign for Tyrod to be the QB1 for Big blue wow yeah yeah i mean i can't argue with you uh jalen hyatt manager shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't argue with that uh, looking at darren waller so the giants are very similar to what we just talked about with the patriots who have basically things were not working and they decided we're, we're changing things it's not working we're going to change who we're playing we're going to we're going to do some things differently you're not changing your scheme mid, mid-season you're making tweaks the best thing you can do is change the player utilization and get different people on the fields and give them opportunities. And so we're seeing the Giants do that. And I think that's also a factor. Another factor here is like with Waller getting healthy. But it's nice when you now have a receiver on the outside, Marcus, and Jalen Hyatt, even though he might not be getting like a 50, you know, 30% of the targets. He had a 20% this last week. Very nice day for Jalen Hyatt. Um, that opens things up for a guy like Darren Waller underneath, who is really a possession wide receiver he's that's what he is he's a big possession wide receiver but at tight end when you can get someone that's getting you know seven or more targets in five of seven games like you'll take it that's gonna be a mid-range tight end one at worst which is what we projected for darren waller this season he's also healthy now so i just think with a healthy quarterback and tyrod and when we get daniel jones back he will be healthy the cool thing with tyrod is they know they don't have to force daniel jones back when he's not ready 
And then these other shakeups in the offense are taking some of the pressure off of Darren Waller. His comp group is 12.8 fantasy points per game. That's a tight end six finish uh, on average. But many of those guys, Marcus, did better than that. They were tight end two, tight end three. So I think we're much closer to getting the version of Darren Waller. Not a great offense, probably not going to score a lot of touchdowns. So he's not, he's not going to have an elite tight end season. But he's closer to what we were drafting, which we thought we were getting someone that could have a really good tight end season and maybe have a shot at the top three. I think you have that again with Darren Waller moving forward. Yeah, I think the one thing the Giants realized is that, hey, look, man, we we went out and we made a play for this guy. We've got to get him more involved. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks. And hopefully that does continue even when Daniel Jones comes. Dan, look, I, I, I kid, but Daniel Jones is going to be the QB one when he's healthy. We all know that. But hopefully uh, this utilization for Darren Waller continues even when Daniel Jones is back at quarterback. Ah, we had plenty of utilization to talk about. We had plenty of fun things to talk about. We sheeshed, we laughed, we had a good time. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show as well. Uh, reminder, go to fantasylife.com, get the utilization report. You can catch, catch the whole article there. You can also dive in to all the tools we have so that you can do your own research as well. But uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Utilization Report debrief at slash sheesh report for Ian Harditz. For Dwayne McFarlane, I am Marcus Grant. We appreciate you hanging out with us as always, and we'll talk to you again real soon.